Has anyone ever hurt you so bad that you end up saying things like, I will never forgive you ever for what you have done. In fact, you have been so hurt that you may not say it with your mouth, but in the back of your mind, you kind of hope something happens. Face it, they are, there are truly some wicked people in this world. And there are a lot of people in this world who are up to no good. They will smile in your face all the time trying to take your place. Oh, Lord, those backstabbers. So we secretly wish we could pay them back or maybe they could trip and bump their head and maybe not die. But I know, I've known some people that have been hurt so bad that you may even wish that person would die. For most of us, we just want something to happen to them so we can say, see, didn't I tell you that they were nothing but sinners? I tried to tell you. And I'm sure some of you still seethe in your heart right now at this very moment as you think of that one person or maybe a series of persons that have hurt you so badly. Yeah, you said, you said that you would forgive them. I know the talk. Oh yeah, I forgive them. I heard the word, I forgive them, and I'm good to go. You're lying. Because at the very thought of their name, or if you saw their faith, something begins to boil up on the inside of you. If you could have your way, that you would get rid of them in a moment. But is that God's best for you? Is this the way you should be as a person who's supposed to love other people unconditionally? Unforgiveness is one of those emotional states locked up in our hearts that we don't realize that it is so damaging that it ends up hurting ourselves. It's kind of like backsplash. You go and you have a soda pop yourself, or backwash, you have a soda pop yourself and you go to drink in it and uh, you have stuff all in your mouth and, and you put your soda pop or your juice in the refrigerator and you go back and you start looking in it and all of a sudden you get all these food particles all in it especially with kids right they have all the food particles all in it and you begin to drink and the very thing that you did it begins to come back in your own self unforgiveness is just like that like all these nasty particles that once we put it out there it comes to return again and again. So in today's message, we're going to deal with the issue of unforgiveness, which is important for all of us, and that we must face it head on. Uh, some of you 
may heard, have heard this message and you may wonder, why again? Because God is saying that uh, there is something more that we have to uncover, or someone else that we must forgive, or we are not done with our unforgiveness. And you know that it's been there because you've been managing to press it down and push it down. And then finally you say, poof, it's gone. But yet it returns. So let us start with what we owe God. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 23. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 23. Therefore, for Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. Brothers and sisters, our debt to God is so massive that we cannot possibly pay it back, nor can we declare bankruptcy. Your debt, my debt before God is so massive that we cannot even imagine paying it back. And guess what? God is not going to accept your bankruptcy. We see here in this passage that one day that the Lord, he will settle all issues that he have with all folks. So even those of you who think that I'm good with God, that the bottom line, that if you are not good with God, that one day Jesus Christ is coming back and he's settling all issues with all people, including you. So here... Jesus now speaks a parable to further illustrate his point concerning the necessity of forgiveness in the life of a disciple. Our verse starts off by saying, therefore. And a way to help us to clearly understand this phrase that we could use a better phrase on account of this. So in other words, we can read it like this. We can say that Jesus says, on account of our inability to fully comprehend the spirit of forgiveness. Right? So in other words, uh, I want you to understand this because the whole idea of forgiveness, it actually began back in verse 21. Remember that? It says there, verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many times as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. So we are not simply to connect, however, this idea of therefore with, even with this previous two verses. 
but also to understand that what is God trying to tell us? Is God trying to deepen our understanding about something, or is he bringing a corrective in our life? Which one is he doing? Does he want us to understand more deeply, or does Christ want uh, to bring correction in our life? Again, in the previous section, Peter, he wanted to know, look, Jesus, well, if someone sinned against me, and he does it, or she does it many times, how many times should I forgive them? I don't know about you, has anyone in here ever hurt you more than once? Have you ever had to forgive someone more than one time? So in other words, Peter was saying that I understand that you are all loving, Jesus. I understand that you are kind, but I am simply not that way. So what I want you to affirm, I want you to affirm the fact that once someone has offended me a certain amount of time, that I'm going to cut them off and I'm going to no longer forgive them anymore. In other words, we're saying, Jesus, can you affirm that? But Jesus, he says, not just seven times, but 77 times. And I know for most of us, 77 times is a lot, amen? And I know some of you, one time is enough. However, Jesus wasn't giving a limit that what he was saying is that we should always be willing to forgive. Regardless of how many times someone has offended us, that we must be willing to be mature Christians and be willing to forgive. Now understand this, uh, this passage, that it comes within the context of church discipline. Church discipline, that this context, that this passage comes within the context of church discipline. Matthew 18, verse 15. Jesus, he says here, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You see, what would be the primary reason for wanting to go to someone who has offended you? Well, you want to get things straight. You want to offer forgiveness. You want to give them a chance to say, I'm sorry that I was wrong. So Jesus says that if this is going to be one of the main stays within the church, the idea of forgiveness, you and I being able to forgive one another, that we must understand that this deals with church discipline. You see, church discipline would not be necessary if there was forgiveness in the first place. Amen? Church discipline would not be necessary if we learn to forgive. So here, back in Matthew 18, verses 23 to 25, the king, in this parable, he decides to settle his accounts. So the king, he came to settle accounts with everyone who owed him. This is one point, nonetheless, implied uh, that we should not miss that in the parables that Jesus is not only seeing as loving, but he wants you to understand that God is also judge. We talked about in this past 
uh, week's Bible class, we, we spoke of the idea of uh, a God being love. And how some people take the idea of God being love to the extreme that even those folks who have been unlovable, those folks who have railed against God, that even he's going to forgive those folks even though, uh, even though they can't stand him. You see, God is love, but that's not all that he is. Amen? Uh, we must understand that not only God is love, but God is also judge. God is a loving judge, however, because he gives us opportunity after opportunity to come to him in repentance. So the king here, uh, we see in this passage, that it is not mentioned that he came only to settle one account. You see, Jesus, he had off against many folks. That uh, this king, uh, the kingdom of heaven, you can say, which represents God himself, uh, that he will come to settle many, many accounts. What account does God have to settle with you? What issue today does God have with you? I know that you say that I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus Christ, and you know, brothers and sisters, that's good, and that's okay, and that we must confess our sins, because he says that what? If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us what? Of all unrighteousness. So we must do that. But the question that we must ask ourselves is, what issue does the judge of the universe have with us today. So now as we look in verse 24, read carefully now, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Notice this. Notice the passage now. It didn't say that this guy, he was sitting at home watching TV and he said, you know what, I owe the king, I owe my master 10,000 talents, so let me get up, hightail it over to him and tell him I ain't got it. It says, what, that when he began to settle, one was brought to him. What you going to do when they come after you for that money that you owe the bank? You think that they're just going to continue to make phone calls and send you those letters? One day there might be a rap-tap-tap on your door and they will come to serve you. They will come after you. You see, sometimes that we can owe so much that it will cause others to come after us. And what Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is like when you owe God something that uh, if you think that you're going to hide, that he's coming after you. He's going to come after you and say, hey, pay up. Pay up. So this servant, which also could be translated as a slave, that he did not come on his free will. And this is what's called a passive action, right? That someone came and, and grabbed him and brought him where he needed to go. So he owed the king 
10,000 talents. By today's standard, this 10,000 talents would probably amount to about hundreds of millions of dollars. Someone said maybe even $1 billion. Hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And I, I guess I would say that maybe this servant was out, you know, uh, uh, eating at uh, a really nice restaurant prior to the master coming to get him. He was probably having a really good time. He was probably trying to figure out uh, that uh, what's going to be the next property I'm going to flip. And he thought in his mind that, you know, my master, that he has so much money that he doesn't care how much I owe him. He doesn't care. But you better believe God who's omniscient, he knows exactly what you owe. For he says in his word that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So imagine if you owed your lender hundreds of millions of dollars. You probably say, well, I thought I was going to have to retire. I was going to retire at 65, but since I owe him hundreds of million dollars, I think I'm going to have to retire at 75. No, uh, that debt would begin to dribble down into your family as well. But the idea of here that Jesus uses the word 10,000, it is uh, where we get the word myriad from. The idea, when you look in heaven, there'll be a myriad upon myriad of people, tens of thousands of people. But that is a figure of speech which simply says that the amount is so much, it's almost incalculable. Hyperbole that you can owe so much money that what are you going to do? Have you known people like that? That they've owned so, they owe so much money to finally say, you know what? It ain't nothing I can do. So I'm just going to live my life and I'm just going to owe. I'm sure this is exactly what the servant was. I owe, I owe, so no, 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 I can't help you anymore, right? I, I can imagine himself saying that, you know, I, I have dug such a deep hole that I'm not going to worry about anything. <laughs> now, the text doesn't tell us uh, why he could not pay. It only tells us that he did not and could not pay. So in response, the king, he orders the servant to be locked up, and then he orders uh, the wife, the children, and all he had to be sold for lack of payments. He's come to put a life lock on everything that you owe. So not only was the servant to be locked up, but the whole family was to be sold, and if you owe hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, you can imagine that still would not be enough. So generally, taking into account all of the servant's possessions, plus his family, every, imagine that, everything that you own, plus your wife and your kids, if you had to put a price tag on all of that, that that still would not be enough to pay the debt that you owe. But that debt 
that Master said that you are going to pay. You are going to pay. So verse 26. So the servant, he fell on his knees imploring him, oh, Lord, have patience with me. I mean, how much patience will you need? Imagine if you owed someone $500 million today. Would you tell them to have patience with you? Patience with you until when? That's what I want to know. How much patience uh, does this individual or this corporation need uh, until you pay them back $500 million? What is it, a year? Is it 10 years? Is it 15 years with minimum payments? But move with compassion. We see that the master, our master, he forgives the unforgivable. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debts. We are forgiven even when we are undeserving. We are forgiven even when we are undeserving. So the servant now begs for mercy from the king. The stakes were this high for your life. Would you be willing to beg for mercy? Or would you stand up in pride? And say, I don't care how much, I don't care how much I owe you, I'm not begging for anything. Is that you? Is that you? I'm not begging for anything. But I tell you, you know, maybe not for myself, but if they came after my wife, she would probably leave me afterwards, I have to admit, right? If they came after my wife and said, we're going to sell you off, I'd say, you know, I got, I got to beg at least for her, you know, right? I got, I got to at least do that. So I don't know about you guys, would you beg for your wife? What about would you beg for your wife if you've only been married for six months? Well, I'm just, I don't know, I just, I, I only get married for six months. I'm not sure if this is really worth it. I'm not sure if I'm going to beg, you know. W- would you beg for your kids because you don't want to see your kids in bondage for the rest of their life? Would you beg for them? Have patience with me. I will pay you back. <laughs> we read earlier in Psalm 130, about God's steadfast love. And many of you know that the idea of steadfast love is God's chesed. That is that kindness or God's grace in which he, uh, he, he gives to us. And we don't deserve it at all. So the king, he had compassion on the servant even though he was not obligated to do so. Do you know or do you realize that God is not obligated to save you? Do you understand this? God has not signed a contract that said that I got you, I got you, I got you, that I got to save you. Do you realize this? The only reason if you are saved, that you are saved, is because God loves you. This is the reason why. So the master released him from a bondage that he could have experienced for the rest of his life. And I don't know about you, 
that I am so glad that I am saved now, amen, and thank you, Jesus. I know that I can live a life regardless of what tries to hold me back, regardless of what tries to push me down, that I can live a life of freedom, amen, and I don't have the bondage of sin, and I don't have the bondage of all that other stuff to hold me back and press me down and keep me separated from the God who loves me unconditionally. So I don't know about you, but there is a lightness that you experience when you know Jesus Christ. Uh, there is a joy that bubbles up uh, from the depths of your being which the world cannot know. Oh, they say uh, that they have joy, but it's only a temporary joy. They say they have peace, but it is only a temporary peace. They say that they have hope, but they have hope in the temporal. But we have hope in the eternal. And for that, we can say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. So the idea, when we read here in this passage, says in verse 27, and out of pity for him, or out of compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him that debt. The word compassion, it comes from the, uh, the internal organs, specifically of, I guess, of an animal, but specifically of a sacrificial animal. So in other words, what he's saying, that the king had uh, such a deep uh, desire to help the individual uh, that, uh, that he had to do it, again, out of love, out of compassion, out of the most innermost parts of his being. So he allowed himself to forgive. And if you've been forgiven, as I have, you can just say, thank you, Lord. However, and here we go, receiving forgiveness doesn't always translate into becoming a forgiving person. Receiving forgiveness doesn't always translate into becoming a forgiving person. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, you know, wouldn't you, wouldn't you have been happy if someone had forgiven you $500 million in debt? Wouldn't you be happy if somebody forgives you of $100 million in debt? Wouldn't you be happy if someone forgives you $500,000 in debt? Hey, wouldn't you be happy if someone give, forgives you $200,000 in debt? Wouldn't you jump for joy if someone forgives you uh, $75,000 worth of debt? Wouldn't you say hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, if someone told you, well, you know what, that car that you still owe 100 payments on, that hoopty that you still owe 100 payments on, don't worry about it, we got this. Wouldn't you jump for joy and be so happy? you say, happy, happy, happy is me. I can't wait uh, to get up off my knees from praising the Lord. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a few dollars. Look at this. And seizing him, he began to choke him up, right? That he began to choke him, saying, you better give me my money. So it wasn't enough, the fact that he 
was choking him up, but he says, pay what you owe. You owe me a few dollars, and I want my money. If you owe me a penny, I want my money, and I want it now. Verse 29. So his fellow, fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me. Haven't you heard that before? Did, you, did we just hear that? Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Who said that previously? Verse 30. He refused. This was the servant who was forgiven. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. You see, this is one of the ways that we can tell whether or not if you're truly if you have truly been transformed by the Spirit of God, how are you responding now in your life? Are you still acting like a sinner? Yeah, you may have talked to talk, but the bottom line is that there must be a transformation in your heart. Oh yeah, we all will struggle. Can you say amen with that? We all will, will, will fall short of that mark. I don't care who you are or what you say or how saved that you think that you may be. We all will fall short. But he was a person that from the depths of his heart that he was not transformed. The servant who begged and pleaded with the king demonstrate that he was all flapping of the gums and no heart at all. He was all talk. So in this instance, the servant found someone who owed him money. Uh, this man was, was not brought to him. Did you notice that as well? Remember uh, the first servant that someone went out and got him and brought him back to the master. But in this case, this servant, that he decides to go out and find this person. So probably as soon as he was forgiven, he probably looked at his list and said, okay now, who owes me money? I'm going to get them, and I'm going to get them right now. And he probably started going down this list, and this is the first person he came across. We don't know, I don't know. I just have a sanctified imagination there, amen? So the servant treated the offender violently for a lesser offense. It is your classic double standard. What, uh, what is justice for me and necessary for me should be expressed as judgment for you. Be aware of anyone, you better listen to what I'm saying, it might help you one day soon. You better listen to me. Be aware of anyone that wants to place judgment on someone else, but yet they themselves want to be forgiven. You better listen to what I'm saying now. Be aware of people who want to place other folks, and as a matter of fact, other folks who they want to see judge and judge harshly, but they themselves, well, uh, you, uh, just forget that. That's okay. Because Scripture says that a double-minded man is what? Uh, we're going to try that one more time, right? Scripture says that a double-minded man or woman, make sure we add that, insert, right? Insert. A double-minded man or woman is what? Unstable. How? In all? 
This servant was double-minded. He was walking down two paths at the same time. Anyone that walks down two paths at the same time, watch out, because eventually they're going to be split. So those who refuse to forgive place themselves in a position of owing God what is impossible to pay back. (laughs) Verse 31. When this fellow, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summons him and said to him, You wicked servants, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. You implored me. Verse 33. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? You see that? God being omniscient, he knows your business even when you're not before him. When you think that you're hiding from God or hiding something from God, you better believe that God, he knows your business. What are you hiding from God now? What do you think that just because you are driving to a a, a faraway place that God doesn't see? What kind of dirt are you doing that you think as long as nobody finds out, nobody can get hurt? But you see, God knows your dirt. God knows all the stuff that you're doing that you have no business doing. He says, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. You begged me. You begged me. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? There's no way in the world. I just have patience with me all of my life, and, and maybe I can pay it back. Shouldn't you have mercy on the next person? You know, I tell you, when I heard this message going around in my head, I, I, had, to, I had to go down the line. Some of you know. I had to go down the line. I had to make sure that, you know, that I was really, I had forgiven all those folks that I needed to forgive in my life. I don't know about you. See, I'm not exempt. And if I'm not exempt, you're certainly not exempt. But I, and this is why I understand so clearly. Sometimes you say you forgive people, but yet when you see them, you just want to, you just, come on, you know, you just want to knock them out. You want to knock them out again. You see, God, well, I said again, I said, no, I, no, you got to watch that. You, you, you just want to knock them out to make sure that we clear that up on the tape there. Amen. Amen. You just want to knock them out. There we go. That's what we want to keep. Uh, we just want to knock them out because they have hurt us so bad. But again, Scripture says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Wait upon God. Because God says what? He says, vengeance is mine. So I don't care how badly you've been hurt, you forgive. But I know you're saying, but, but, this, that, and the other. I I understand that. And maybe we'll we'll deal with that in, in, in one moment as well. So anyway, verse 33, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. 
so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from where? Try it again. Where? You need to forgive from where? Okay, so here's a disclaimer. Here it is. There are some people that I know that may have hurt you. They've done some bad things, and these are folks you just don't want to be around. You realize you can still forgive but stay away? You can forgive and stay away because there are some people that where, where, where you may have been enlightened and been saved and been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, they haven't. So sometimes some people can do something so bad that you need to stay away and keep everybody else that you know away from them as well. Especially if they have not come to a place of brokenness. Because if you do not come to this place of brokenness, that they're liable to do it again. And if you're there, they're going to do it again to you. But you're saying, but I love them. But I love them. They hurt me. Uh, but Pastor, they, they, I love them to death, and they would never do it again. Well, have them to come back after they get some help. Amen? Have them get some help, and then maybe have them come back after a period of time. And you can still forgive them. Amen? You can still say, I forgive you. In fact, some folks, it may not be necessary for you to tell them I forgive you. Right? You don't have to write a note. Well, I needed to write a note to say, even though they had passed away, I needed to write a note to say, I forgive you. You don't have to do that. Just forgive from within your heart. And it is done, just like your salvation is done. Your forgiveness towards them, it is done, it is done. And if you need to stay away, stay away, because they still may be a dangerous person. So again, remember that even though this servant was forgiven, that forgiveness did not translate into a change of heart for them. God would never offer forgiveness without expecting a change of heart on our part. It's kind of like uh, uh, one of the things that I always tell you about, uh, one of the things that I, uh, I had shared with some people is that, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I learned uh, how to be a servant, you know, watching, you know, one of my sons. You, do, do you realize that? That just by watching my sons, and how he helps other people. And he doesn't care uh, and never have cared what anyone thought about how he helped other people. And I'm like, how, how can you, you know, I'm just, you know, I just got that edge. You know, I, I admit it, you know, and Lord help me. And I'm like, and I, and I used to say to myself, how can you just help people like that? You know, just all willy-nilly. And you just, you, you don't have any second thoughts because people take advantage of you. And they'll, if you help them once, you have to help them twice. You help them twice, you have to help them three, help them four, help them five times. Next thing you know, they've taken advantage of you, so why help them at all? Right? You see, there is something redeeming when we experience the love and the forgiveness of another person. And I want to ask you, I know for some of you that Jesus has forgiven you of your sin. I know this. But has anyone else forgiven you of a transgression that you have done against them? Has anyone ever forgiven you 
for something that you have done to them. Right? So this is where you find your place. This is why, where I find my place. Okay, well, you know, people have forgiven me. Can I be man enough? Can you be woman enough? Under the blood of Jesus Christ, now to forgive the next person. So as people who are part of the kingdom of God, we must also consider ourselves as purveyors of forgiveness and of mercy and grace as well. Now I admit that to forgive someone else, it may be one of the hardest things that you could possibly do right now. I know it's, it's difficult. But I also know that uh, sometimes the refusal to forgive another person, to release that person, that it also is within the same arena as pride. Why pride? Because they can't do that to you, and this is the only thing that you can hold against them. I'm just not going to forgive you, and I'm not going to forgive them. I don't care what they say. For some people, forgiveness is a huge mountain to traverse. But understand that we are to forgive. Comprehend the fact that forgiveness is not an emotion. It is an act of the will. So, in other words, you can't wait to feel like it's time to forgive. You must walk in obedience towards God and forgive. This servant here, he acted out of extreme selfishness and wanted to show up his financial position. He was conniving and truly unrepentant. Do you want those words to be said of you? For many of us, time is past due to forgive and to let go. Frankly, these issues are no different from the ones that we come across day after day. Day after day. But I want you to remember this. God has forgiven you. And this is the point of Jesus Christ. God has forgiven you. And if he has forgiven you of such a great debt...